What is home? Where the heart is. Yeah, or where the deer and antelope roam, <laughs> right? Now, I actually looked on the Habitat for Humanity website, and they actually had a survey of all those that received homes, how they would describe a home. And so here are just a few highlights. They said, home means a future. Home is the base where everything begins. Home is safety, security, stability. Home is a safe haven and a comfort zone. Home is simply wherever you're surrounded by people who love you. All these sentiments are based on an idea that home is more than just a physical space with walls and a a roof, although shelter and security are incredibly important. But home is also an emotional state of security and comfort as well. This, I think, intuitively makes sense to all of us. A physical space, no matter the size, if it is empty of love, it is not home. And Jesus said in Luke 9, 58, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I mean, he doesn't have a home with physical shelter in this world. Or, even more clearly, this isn't his home. And so it begs the question, where's Jesus' home? We'll get to that. While we might have a physical space to call home and to lay our head, we are like Jesus. And this is not our home. This is not where we will reside. We are prodigals, lost children, wandering the wilderness of this world for our home. Perhaps maybe we are looking in the wrong places for our home as well. Advent is the season of waiting, anticipating, but waiting can be not enjoyable. It can be hard. It can be frustrating. And so it is in this season of these, the two advents of Christ that Christ has come already as we celebrate the incarnation at Christmas time, that he has already come, but the promise that he will come again. And so we are in this tension of Advent, which is a symbol of our whole lives, of between these two Advents, of that He has come and the promise that He'll come again, and we're waiting. And our cry, of course, is, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because waiting is hard. So how do we wait? How do we, not, and we learned that waiting is not passive, it's active. How do we actively wait between these two Advents. How do we not just pa- live? How do we act between these two advents? Last week we talked about God giving us a new status, that He has declared us righteous. That he's on the cross, that Jesus has taken the punishment of our sin, and He's given us His righteousness and declared us because of His righteousness that we're your righteous because we're united in Him. 
And more than that, we learn. That's a past tense. That actively, right now, he's given us his spirit to work out that righteousness in us, to change us, our character, into a righteous character, which is our future glory, that we are righteous with him. This is, it's past tense, it's present tense, it's future, that this is what he's doing right now, this new status. This week, we're going to talk about this promise that we're part of a new family between these two advents, that God has made us into a new family. The Spirit of God makes us children of God, and the Spirit of God makes us live as children of God. There's two blessings here. It's not just a declaration that you're a child of God. It's that I'm going to teach you actually how to live like a child of God. The Spirit declares, and the Spirit transforms. Similar just into what, how Christ does in righteousness on the cross. He declares, and then God gives us the Spirit to transform. God has declared us his family, and he's going to show us how to live like his family. Declared and being lived out. We have a new status, and we have a new family between these two advents. Let's look at the text. Romans 8, 15 through 16. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Jesus declares us righteous the gift of the indwelling spirit declares us family and children of God. And this is bigger. This is bigger than I just want you to understand that we're just part of God's family. And that may feel great to you. Like, yeah, I'm part of God's family now. And that's great. And I feel warm and fuzzy about that. But it's bigger than that. That's what it's saying here in Romans. It's just not, hey, you got a larger family now. It's more than your biological, biological family. It's actually this is what the promise is. Is that you were once a slave to a master in a different family. You were a slave. You weren't a child. You belonged to a different master and you were owned by him. In fact, here's that master was sin and death. You belong to sin and death. And we're owned by it. But God came and freed you. And brought you into his family. Not to be a slave in his family. But to declare you one of his children. One of his precious children. That's pretty big. That's a, that's a gigantic. That's a, you know, uh, uh, Annie was just on. Right, uh, live on NBC this week. I don't. You didn't watch it. I didn't watch it either. Uh, but I knew it was on. But that you know, rags the riches. This is a rags to riches scenario. You were once a slave, not just a slave to any master, sin and death, and now you are a child of the living God, the God who is life of all things, from slave to children. Jesus pays our debt to sin and death. He redeems us. He purchases us. He buys us into his family. Another word you could say, he adopts us. 
purchases us and he adopts us. And that, that adoption language is a powerful in, imagery. I know there's people in here who have adopted and have been adopted. I have a brother that was adopted out of my family before, right? Just a half-brother. There's a powerful imagery of that you choose. You choose as, as a parent, right? I have four children. I, I, there are consequences of actions I took. I love all my children. I love them, but I didn't choose them. They were given to me, and they're gifts that are precious to me. I, I have said in the past to them, uh, uh, particularly my older ones, uh, emphasis like, you know, to, to Andrew, I said, like, Andrew, if I had to choose uh, anyone in the whole world to be my oldest son, you know who I would pick? Jimmy down the street. <laughs> no, no, I, I would pick you. And then to Josh, you know, who, you know what, I picked my second son. And so just to repeat this idea that, okay, even though you're given to me, I would choose you if I had the opportunity. Because that idea that so you're someone's choice, because this is what God has done for you. God chose you, and God knows everything about you. Remember that scale, you know, you're worse than you think you are? And you might think you're really bad, you're worse than that? And yet God knows that, and he chooses you. There's not a moment in time in which you are more loved or less loved by God. Maybe you're just thinking, I'm not lovable right now. Here's the thing. God doesn't love you less or more because you don't understand the depth. Because you are more loved than God than you'll ever understand. And it's this right now that he loves you like that. It's not, oh, one day I'm going to love you a lot. Or remember when you acted like that, that's when I loved you. That's not how God works. God shows you and he loves you more than you can imagine. That is a powerful imagery from slaves to sin and death to children of the living God. In verse 16, it says the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God, bears witness with our spirit. Here's how I want you to really understand it. Don't think of yourself that I have a spirit that's separated from yourself. We're not we're not uh, platonic people. We don't think in, in terms of Plato and Aristotle and that kind of capacity where spirit and soul and body are separated. No, it's, it's, this is what this sentence means. God bears witness with us that we're his children. That we're his children. He speaks into this life and he bears witness to us. He declares us by his testimony that we are his children. God, God who has this who creates things just out of his word and his will and his ability. He speaks it and it comes true. So he has it with you. He's declared it. You are mine. You are my child. You belong to me. I choose you. It's not like, oh, maybe this happens. It happens. It has happened. Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, God has given you this ability to cry out to him and understand that he is your father. This, 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 is a, this, this term, Abba, Father, all the Israelites understood God as father. It was imagery that they understood. But they wouldn't refer to God as father. They wouldn't refer to him as their dad. It, that was not an intimate kind of phrase that they would use. They, they understood it as a general principle. 
But because of their respect and their reverence and their fear, they wouldn't use that. And here's the scandal is that Jesus actually begins to use this language all the time when he speaks. And it's shocking to the rest of everyone else. Who, who does he think he is? Calling God his individual father. That's not what we do. But Jesus declares this kind of intimacy. This is my dad. This is my family. This is who I belong to. And there he teaches us the same way. He gives us the spirit, the same way to address our father as father. Some of you may have been married, and I know when I got married, like that, that I think it was the wedding day. My father-in-law, he said, like I, oh, he was always Mr. Gill. That day he said, you can call me dad. Now, that's a real invitation to intimacy. It was a special moment, like, hey, now you're part of the family. And you're not just part of the family, you get to be intimate with me. Why, we are in a special relationship. Now, you all know, it gets really awkward when you have your biological father in the same room, and you're like, how do I address them? <laughs> but that's a, it's a special intimacy that you have, that it's a choice. He didn't get to... He didn't get to choose me. His daughter chose me. He knew he had to choose me after that. Though. That was a whole different story. We'll talk about that a different day. But in that moment, he decided, you can call me dad. That was a choice that he made. Invited me in. He didn't have to. I could have still called him Mr. Gill. This loops us back to the point. It's where is home or what is home? And in some ways, it's where the heart is. But to be clear, it's where love is given. Home is where love is given. You notice I didn't say it's where it's reciprocated? Because home starts where it's given. The Father gives us his love. He invites us. He declares us. He expresses that love. We are foreigners in this world, and our home is with our eternal family. Love given. More explicitly, John 14, 1 through 6. Jesus says this, let not your hearts be troubled. And this is not, this doesn't mean let, don't let your hearts be grieved. This is mean, do not let, do not be terrified. Don't be fearful in this world, but in which reality, you should be terrified and fearful in this world because this world is a dark and evil place, darker and more evil than you could ever imagine. That you're ever given the ability to understand and to see. And he's saying in the midst of that, don't be terrified. Don't be terrified. There's a reason. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I just want you to understand, this is what he said. Don't be terrified. Why don't be terrified? Because you can believe in God, which you can believe in me. And here's why. In my father's house, there is many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that I may be with you also. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus says, don't be terrified. Why? You can trust me. 
Why? Because I've prepared, I'm going to prepare a place for you and in my father's house. And I'm going to come back and take you to my father's house where this place is prepared for you. And you know the way. And then Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know the way and where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him, and you, you do know him and have seen him. I just want you to hear it very clearly. Did you, see, did you hear what he's saying? Where is your home? With your Father. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be terrified in this world. This isn't your home. Trust me, I'm going to rescue from all of this. And your home is with the Father. And here's the thing, right now, you can be with the Father because I am with you. And if you know me, you know the Father. The Father and I are one. And like, well, okay, Jesus isn't here now. But the Spirit is here now. The Father and the Son share the same Spirit, one God. And so you can be with the Father and the Son, home, right now, right now, in any circumstance, in any place, you can be home. Now, it's just a glimmer, isn't it, of the real home. The Father is our home. Home is not just a place, it's a person. Home is with God. Now he's declared us adopted children of God. We have a home right now with the Father. And this is not a Father that waits for us. This is not a Father that just sits back. This is a Father as the parable of the prodigal son that runs to us. You remember that story? Where the Father is, is looking out for this lost son and he sees him in a distance and he goes off and runs. Luke 15, 20. And he arose and came to the father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Now, he's like, oh, that's really passionate and cool. And like, that's really exciting. But it's a scandalous. Jesus is understanding this parable. I want you to know who the father is. The father who's your home. He's the guy that runs after you. Fathers in that time, men, adult men, they do not run. I can appreciate that. <laughs> but this father, our father, the father who adopts us as his children and flees us from slavery, he runs to us. There's nothing that holds him back. We are loved by him. That is home. That is home. The loving embrace of our forever dad. It is the spirit of the Father and the Son that makes us and declares us his children. More than that. More than, can it be more than that? But this is, this is how scripture goes. It like tells you one fantastic thing, like, wow, and then guess what? There's more. There's more than that. Or Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Not only are we redeemed and declared righteous, not only are we adopted and chosen children, we are made full heirs with Christ. 
Jesus is our elder brother. We are going to share in his inheritance. 1 Peter 1.4 says it this way, that we, to, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. We get something else besides this incredible place of home and this choice and this loving embrace of the Father. What is our inheritance? Like, let's get to the brass tacks. What do we get? Right? I don't, I don't know if I've done this with my parents. Like, they laid out the inheritance. Like, this is just awkward and weird. I don't want to know this. Just send me a zip file. I'll open it when I need to. But God tells us in advance, this is what you get. Number one, eternal life. This is not order of priority. Right? Bullet point, eternal life. We get to reign with Christ in heaven. We get to reign with him. We get to rule with him. And, and this, is, this is not an exhaustive list. I just like to start named some things. And then the third one, which I really like, each other. This is our inheritance. Each other. We're part of a new family. Deuteronomy 4.20 says, But the Lord has taken you, brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt to a people of his own inheritance. The people, the church, are Christ's inheritance. And so if we are co-heirs, guess what our inheritance is? Each other. This, I, I talk about this before. I've talked, right? You're like, listen, when you don't show up and when you're not present with the body of Christ worshiping, whatever location you are, you are neglecting the inheritance to the rest of the body. Like, you're taking away my inheritance when you're not here. Shame on you. <laughs> right? the, the point, I mean, we all get a blessing when we are together. This is glorious. This is the inheritance. We are Christ's inheritance, and then we are each other inheritance. We're more than we're, we're heirs to God. The Spirit of God makes us children of God, declares us it, 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 past tense, and in making that a reality, the Spirit of God makes us live as children of God, transforming us to act and live out the character of God's children. The character of God himself. This is ongoing. This is, the, this is the struggle of living between the two advents. Romans 8, 17. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. I want you to hear this clearly. This is not an if-then statement in this passage. It's not, if you suffer, you will be children of God. It's actually this. You are children of God, and you will suffer. I just, I just want to put in the proper context. It's not like, okay, i got to go out and suffer and really strive for Christ and suffer for him, and then he'll make me a child of God. No, this is not your work. What he's saying is, I've made you a child of God in this broken world, and you will suffer for it. Like, whoa. That's part of our inheritance too? Well, it's just a temporal one. It's a temporal inheritance. It says, you will suffer. Why will suffer? We'll suffer because this world is in a state of sin. We'll talk about that more next week. Everything is broken. That's what God is trying to fix. 
in this long-suffering way he's doing it. It's fixing all of creation, not just you and I. And number two, suffering is actually in our inheritance with Christ. We are united in Jesus' death and resurrection. Sometimes we just like to think we're united in his resurrection. We're united in his death. There's something in us that needs to be put to death and something that needs to be resurrected. And we're united in that. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Our inheritance is the cross. We are cross heirs. You see what I did there? We are cross heirs. This is in our inheritance. We are united with him. And here's the thing. This is like, oh, this is really terrible. It's not terrible. The cross is the ultimate expression of love. I could talk about the cruciform existence of the universe and understanding how everything is formed in this way so you actually understand who God is and his love. But the point is that the cross is the ultimate example of love. It's, a, it's actually the ultimate example of the golden rule. The golden rule, which most religions in this world have. Right? The golden rule, Matthew 7, 12, it's stated there. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also for them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the, the summary of the whole word of God. Whatever you, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. This is the summary. You know what also is the summary of the law and prophets? Love God, love your neighbor. And here's what I'm saying. The cross is the ultimate example of this. God so loved the world that he gave his son to die for us, to resurrect for us. This is actually how we understand what love is. Someone to lay down their life. This is the golden rule. Jesus wants you to, he lays down his life, he lives it out. I'm going to lay down my life for you. What does he want in return? He wants people of character that will lay down their lives for him. Because this is who God is. This is very nature of his character, willing to love people in such a capacity that he runs to them, that he lays down his life for them, and that's who he's creating this. He's not saying, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to wait to see you do this. No, he gives us his spirit to be able to transform our character so we actually have a desire and will to actually lay down our lives. And how do we do this out practically? We lay our lives down for our neighbors so they may see the character of who God is, so they may understand what love is. If you watch The Mandalorian, if you don't, I don't know what to say, but do you? But like, he has this frame, right? This is the way. This is the way for you and I, children of God, adopted children of God, cross heirs. This is the way. We are to love God and love neighbor. You know how we do it? We lay down our life for others. That's how we lay it down for God. I'm not saying that people walk all over you. That's not what I'm saying. Spend more time on that. But this is, this is Luther's theology of the cross. This is this living like the children of God means loving like Jesus. And this is Jesus' way. He's, he's trying to give you understanding what really is the depth of his love. Laying down your life for people that don't deserve it. That are wretched people, which you and I are. Which brings us back to last week. Our new status 
gives us a new responsibility. And that responsibility is a debt of love. God so loved us, we have a debt to love him. Romans 8, 12, 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Right? It's by the Spirit, through God, if you do this, you will live. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. We are not debtors to the flesh. We are not debtors to sin and death anymore. God has purchased us. He's free us. We are debtors to him, which he's loved us. And so we owe no one anything except for love. We love God. We are cross heirs. This is who he is. This is the way. The responsibility of being in the family of God is love. We don't do things out of fear of being disciplined, but we're motivated because we love. We're motivated because we are loved. I, I, as, as parents, like, I know we struggle. We, we want our kids to obey, but here's the thing. We don't want our kids to obey because they're feared of being caught or they fear the consequences. I want to, the, to grow in them. I want God to grow them a character that actually obeys because they love. That's the transformation. This is what God wants. He doesn't want us to obey because we fear. Don't be terrified. Because we're feared of the consequences. Scared of going to hell. He wants us to obey because in that character, we actually responding in love. This is, you and I will break laws. You know why we won't break certain laws at certain times? Because we actually love the people around us. That's why we won't. Or we actually love God. And so we're going to honor him. That's our motivation. That's the motivation which God is trying to instill in us. 1 John 4.18 says it this way, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has, n has to do with punishment, and whoever fear has not been perfected in love. Did you hear it? The Spirit of God makes us children of God. He declares it. More than that, the Spirit of God makes us to live. It gives us this capacity and grows in us to actually live out as children of God, which means we are to love. Grows us in this capacity, this indwelling Holy Spirit, sanctifying us to a life of love, the very character of our Father who has adopted and chosen us and our elder brother, Jesus. In this world, between two advents, you may feel lost, you may feel alone. You may feel hopeless and homeless at times. When our places of safety and security and stability don't seem so safe, don't seem secure, and they don't seem so stable, remember this in the two Advents, that you have a new status, that you are righteous, and you have a new family, and you have a father that has run to you, that has chosen you, despite who you are. 
and therefore you have a home. Because your father is your home. Your father is your place of safety and security and stability. Our father is our home. Our father is our family. Let us rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. That the father that gives us his spirit to make us part of his family, to declare it, and that grows on us the ability to learn and to live out the character of the Father himself. Love. Let us rejoice in that gift between the two Advents. Let us pray. Gracious Father, loving Father, There are not enough words, there aren't any words to describe our gratitude, to describe the love you have for us. We struggle each and every day to grasp at that love. Grow us in this gratitude. Grow us in this character to love and not to fear. Free us continually from the chains of our former master, our former slave owner. And help us, help us day in and day out. Embrace you as our father. Embrace this character which you have declared. And understand, help us understand that this is not our ability. This is your gift to us. Thank you, Father. Help us rejoice today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's Father. People say, amen.